Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 265 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. During our last series of inspections, I discovered a couple of colonies with higher varroa levels than I would have wished. We're going to try a couple of techniques to help these colonies out. You'll have guessed one by now by the title of this episode, but what's the other option? Listen in to find out. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Hi everyone, here we are, back for another weekly podcast, and it's been a weather week of some note. If you've followed the podcast for some time, you'll maybe remember my comments from previous episodes regarding the fact that one of our borage farmers has now installed irrigation on his farm, where we had none last year. So now that we have this access to water, we'll probably find ourselves with the wettest summer on record. Well, it hasn't quite been that bad yet, but we've had some very heavy cloud bursts across the UK and they've even managed to reach across to the east, where we normally struggle to get any meaningful rainfall when it heads across the UK from the Atlantic out to the west. Most of the time, though, it's been raining overnight. That's been something of a blessing, as we've been able to continue with the move of colonies to their various summer apiary sites, relatively unhindered. That said, we did have to abort one session of inspections over at the farm, as the heavens really did just let loose, and we went from warm summer sunshine to a very heavy rain shower in just 30 seconds, and that had us running back to the truck. The midsummer inspection routine is somewhat different to the spring inspections as we really pull back on disturbing the colonies now that they're on their summer nectar flow. The reason for this is that in the main, most colonies have either swarmed, attempted to swarm, or have been split and have new queens to the point that unless we have a very good reason to open up the hive, we leave them alone for the rest of July and only go back into the brood box once the summer honey comes off. This is going to be particularly important this year, as we are still intending to take some colonies to the heather in August sometime. I'm making an assumption that it will be early August, but I'm waiting to get guidance on that. There's no point driving all the way to the moors with colonies that are small, queenless, or just worn out after the summer flow. So we'll inspect for colonies that are strong, healthy, and ready to get stuck into some late season forage. There are, of course, exceptions to this rule of not inspecting. I say rule, it's not really a rule as such, just something that we've done in recent years when the workload has increased at the point the honey comes off and is ready to be extracted. There's just not enough time for everything and something has to give. And as it happens, the practice of not inspecting through most of July gives the colonies a little respite from us beekeepers interfering with them. They can focus on filling honey boxes and don't have to stop doing that in order to repair and renew the comb that we pull apart and damage when we inspect. 
Now, if you're looking at your two or three hives at the bottom of the garden and thinking, Stuart's just told me not to inspect my hives, then don't worry, go ahead and inspect them. It's why you keep bees, right? Well, part of the reason you keep bees, I'm assuming, I do understand that there are more reasons than just inspecting bees and taking a crop of honey from your bees that keeps beekeepers beekeeping, if you see what I mean. Anyway, for me, it gives a little relief from the frenetic dash from apiary to apiary, checking for queen cells and disease and varroa and other pests and all the other reasons we have for opening up our hives. And it was for exactly one of those reasons I was inspecting earlier in the week and made a couple of discoveries. First off, we had made the final move to the pumpkins late the week previously. The truck, the good old Ford Ranger, was loaded up with 18 Technoset hives, all very carefully stacked and strapped down. One of the very excellent features of the Technoset hives is the moulded legs and the corresponding recess in the roof that allows the hive on top to fit neatly and be relatively securely held so that it doesn't slip. It still needs strapping down to the truck, you understand, but there's no sliding around. It's not going to slip. Everything locks together. It was another very early start, I have to say. This past couple of weeks has been some of the most tiring beekeeping days I can remember. I think we started at 3am on this occasion, everything loaded and ready by 4am and on site by around 5.30 to 6 so it's been some very early starts. We had to go back to the pumpkins at the beginning of this last week to carry out inspections, as we'd been rained off, as I mentioned earlier. Another drive down to the apiary, coffee and pastries devoured, nature breaks taken, probably too much info there, but you get the idea. By the time all of that was taken care of, it was around 9.30, I guess, and warm enough to carry out some fairly comfortable inspections. Can you guess what the first thing was to catch my eye? Yep, sitting neatly and quietly beneath the floor of one of the hives was a very large prime swarm cluster. Bugger. All that work preparing the colonies and one missed inspection results in a swarm. Not being one to miss an opportunity though, I decided we would pop them into a new hive create a replacement colony on the site of the old hive and rather than move the swarm to a new position I decided we'd keep the swarm where it was, move the old now queenless colony to another part of the apiary and all the flying bees would end up with the swarm making it even bigger potentially without any immediate brood to take care of there was an opportunity for some honey to be stashed away. The only problem was I didn't have a spare empty hive to put the swarm into and we weren't exactly close to home. Some of you may remember the video we shot last year in the meadow beside the borage where we had a similar situation. A swarm, not enough kit and you would think that I might remember that and have brought some spare equipment with me this time but no. Anyway always looking to find a solution we did have a role albeit a narrow role of pallet wrap, plenty of supers and queen excluders, and this is what I did. First off, we wrapped the bottom of a super with pallet wrap, sealing it completely apart from a small gap at one end. This was to become a very temporary floor, 
as we had some honeypore roofs at the borage apiary and those can double up as an entrance but we needed to go back to collect it and I didn't want to lose this very large swarm. Next we put three supers on top of each other creating enough space, I guess comparable to something like a double brood box, no queen excluder at this point. Then we wrapped a queen excluder with the pallet wrap to become a temporary roof. It turned out we only had one spare roof and that was to become the floor. I moved the queenless hive off the floor and gently placed it in another part of the apiary, lifted up the floor and shook the swarm from the bottom into our makeshift hive. The floor was then returned to its original colony and that colony set up queenless but with a queen cell. More on that later. The swarm makeshift hive was left in the original position and remarkably it appeared we had the queen at first attempt because the bees left on the floor and under the pallet quickly marched into their new home. What we were also going to collect with this setup was all the flying bees coming out of the original hive heading off to forage only to return to the original hive position now occupied by the swarm colony in their new hive. We inspected all of the other colonies without incident and then went back to the swarm hive to watch what was happening. Flying bees were returning with pollen and I guess nectar and heading straight inside without incident. It appeared to have worked nicely for us. A quick trip to the borage apiary and we collected the spare roof. This then became the swarm hive floor and we'll return in the coming week with additional equipment to complete the task. So what we've ended up with is a Langstroth hive consisting of four medium boxes, no queen excluder, a honey pour poly roof for the floor and a queen excluder wrapped in pallet wrap as the roof, all held together with a cantilever hive strap. Now I don't have any problem with the queen wandering around the supers or medium honey boxes as they are because when we go back we can isolate the queen in a couple of these boxes move all of the brood that hopefully has been created into those two boxes and pop any honey that's been stored in the broodless boxes above the queen excluder, adding more boxes if required. In fact, having tweaked my back problem just a day or two ago, lifting these medium boxes is going to be just the ticket rather than having to lift a heavy brood box. The back problem has actually forced me out of action for a couple of days this last week. We had to call a halt to moving more bees and honestly I really couldn't risk making it any worse. The good news is listening to my body telling me to slow down a bit and resting up has meant that the problem hasn't gotten any worse. Two days out at one of the busiest times of the year isn't great though so I'm having to work over the weekend catching up again with the final move of bees. One of the jobs to tackle in the next few days is a varroa population explosion in a couple of hives. I mentioned it in the title. I discovered the issue when we had moved bees to the borage and it's a good example of how simply paying attention to what's happening between colonies even when simply having a quick look at what's going on in the supers can alert you to an issue that you might otherwise have missed. So we were checking out boxes placed on colonies for bees, not looking at frames for honey or nectar being stored, but just the number of bees occupying those boxes. 
have we got lots of bees in these supers cleaning, preparing, storing, and maybe even capping honey? All of this takes literally a couple of seconds. Like I said, I'm not inspecting them, just having a quick look beneath the roof, but really thinking closely about what I'm seeing. Two colonies jumped out at me. Just not the same numbers of bees moving around in the supers, even though these had been earmarked as production colonies. Further investigation was definitely required. Getting down to the brood box and checking out a few frames immediately revealed the issue. It was, or rather is, Varroa. Once you get a feel for what heavy Varroa loading looks like, it kind of jumps out at you. The good news is, at the moment, it isn't terminal. We can recover these colonies. Not to produce any decent amount of honey, I would say, but to give them a good fighting chance of getting through the winter and a fresh start next spring. So what had I found? Well, immediately there was a little DWV, deformed wing virus. Not a problem in itself, but likely to be an indicator that Varroa is present and acting as a vector or carrier of the virus. Elsewhere in the brood box, there were other signs of Varroa issues. Cells not quite capped or having been capped were now showing signs of possibly being uncapped. There were also one or two dead larvae in the cells. Not showing any obvious signs of other diseases or problems, you understand, like chalk brood, for instance, just dead in the cell. Experience will teach you to rule out problems one at a time, and usually what's left is invariably the answer. So we have a Varroa issue in two hives. Interesting that it's very specific to these two colonies. Both had been treated over the winter period, just like all of the other colonies, yet they've found themselves overrun with Varroa at this important stage of the season. If left, all that will happen is a gradual decline and the ultimate sudden collapse of a perfectly recoverable colony. To help them, we're going to try two different options. The first was going to be Mitoway quick strips, not something I like using, but a necessary intervention at this time of the year. Unfortunately, it was out of stock, so I turned to another quick-acting treatment called Formic Pro. I bought this from Thorn Beehives, and it was with me the very next day. Both come from the same manufacturer, are basically the same design of two strips of treatment, and I was interested to see what the difference between the two is. I grabbed this information from their website. Formic Pro is the next generation product to the Mitoway Quick Strips formulation. The major differences really are just the shelf life, 24 months for Formic Pro versus 12 months for Max, a treatment period of 14 or 20 days for Formic Pro compared to 7 or 21 days for Mitoway Quick Strips, and storage requirements of out of direct sunlight for Formic Pro, but under 25 degrees Celsius for Mitoway Quick Strips. Because of the apparent heavy loading of Varroa, we're going to opt for the 14-day treatment. This is also because there is capped brood in the brood box and we need to get the treatment into these cells, so a higher initial dose is required. If you have a broodless period, you can go with one strip at a time. With brood, 
Certainly with capped brood, we need two strips. We also need ventilation, and just to complicate matters, there is a zero days withdrawal period for honey, which means we need to remove the supers with honey, not ideal when you're in the middle of a nectar flow. I'm going to record a video showing the process. I think it will be much easier all round to see how we use it, rather than for me to try to describe a blow-by-blow -blow explanation here. The other method we're going to try is a mechanical method of drone brood removal. I like the ease with which this method can be used, and it simply involves adding a frame of drone brood foundation to the colony and allowing the queen to lay eggs in the newly developed cells. Once these are capped, we can remove the frame, freeze it to kill the drone larvae humanely, and also, with luck, trap a large population of Varroa, removing them from the colony population. I'll also include this in the video to give a comparison. Neither is ideal, as on the one hand we're introducing formic acid into the hive, and on the other we're having to kill an entire frame of drone brood. It all feels rather necessary though, because the alternative of doing nothing is likely to result in the death of the entire colony, and I'm just not prepared to allow that to happen. Look out for the video in the next week or two. Well, that's it for this week. Don't forget to check out my website, www.norfolk-honey.co.uk. And for my latest videos and podcasts with more updates, tips and techniques, it's the same Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. And remember, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. <laughs>